Welcome to another edition of Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. We're so glad you chose to listen with us today, and we pray your life will be blessed through the following message. I talked to you last week about our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and it struck me this week as I was praying that sometimes we don't really know what we have at our disposal. You know, the Word of God is such a great tool, but sometimes we take it for granted and don't really realize what we have. Until the disciples asked Jesus the best way to pray, they didn't have a book they could go to to flip to it and find the Lord's Prayer. So we have this great tool, and it's important to know what we have. Let me give you an example. Last week, we had an individual who wanted to bless us, brought us this big cooler, uh, uh, gallon-sized jug of juice. It was called Fabuloso. I don't know if you're aware what Fabuloso is. If you are, just stay patient. Let the rest of them go on the journey with me. So they asked me, who should they give it to? And I started to say, well, just give it to Joni. And I thought, why? why? I, can hand, I, mean, I can take it. I don't need to put that off on somebody else. And I said, well, you can just give it to me. That'd be fine. So they bring in this gallon jug of this purple Kool-Aid-looking stuff. It's Fabuloso. Some of you are ahead of me. And I'm excited. And I tell the individual, I say, you know, man, thank you so much. The kids are really going to love this. And they kind of looked at me funny, but I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. So I said, let me go put it up. So I'm headed to the refrigerator. I'm going to put it in the refrigerator. And then I'm going to let Linda and Keisha know, man, we got a blessing. Somebody's giving us a gallon of juice we can give to the kids. So the Holy Spirit really was at work there. And I know it was the Holy Spirit now. Because as I go to the back, Joni's near the copier, and I say, you know what, I'm going to brag on this individual because they really need, you know, I just want them to know that God's blessed them, and they wanted to bless us. So I go to Joni, I said, Joni, look what somebody gave us. She goes, oh, that's kind of, that's cool. She goes, but it's nice, but that stuff stinks. And I'm thinking, St- who cares if it stinks? Does it, I said, does it taste good, though? She kind of looked at me, and she was like, what do you mean, tastes good? She, I wouldn't drink it. And I'm thinking, well, just because you won't drink it don't mean that it don't taste good. That's what's going through my mind. And she says, I don't know if it tastes good, but it sure does clean floors really well. I said, what do you mean cleans floors? She said, that's cleaner. I said, that's cleaner. Oh, my goodness. We're about to be on the front page news. If you're not aware of who Jim Jones is, let me remind you that the Kool-Aid I was talking about was purple. But the truth is, I didn't know what I had in my hands. Thank God, Holy Spirit led me to talk to Joni, who informed me of what I had in my hands, and we did not give the fabuloso to the children. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> so it is important, vitally important, that we know what we have in our hands and, and, and through the Bible, but also through prayer. You know, when, when Jesus laid out the template to the disciples, you know, I'm not sure if they truly knew at that point in time what they really had at their disposal. You know, and as we talked about last week, one of the first things it tells us is we need to know to whom we're praying. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, all of our Father. It's a unifying God. He unifies us. He brings us together. He's alive and well. He's not gone. You know, next week we celebrate Easter. And I do want to remind you that we will have a sunrise, sunrise-ish 
service as long as the sun rises at 7.30. We're going to start at 7.30. So here at Southside Christian, the sun doesn't rise until 7.30. But uh, if you want to come, I, I think we're going to do it out back here. And you're more than welcome to bring a lawn chair or you can just come and stand and bring your car. And we're going to have a great time. But next week, we're going to celebrate Easter. And Easter is that time that separates Christianity from all other religions. You see, when he said, our Father who is in heaven, okay, when we pray to our God, he, he's actually there. When Jesus rose from the dead, and that's what we celebrate in Easter is him rising from the dead, his resurrection, that separated our religion and our devotion to our God from everybody else's. Their gods didn't rise. Buddha didn't die and rise again. Muhammad didn't die and rise again. No other individual that's treated as a deity. Gandhi, for all of his love and wisdom, didn't die and rise again. But Jesus did. And so knowing to whom we're praying is important. And that's what Jesus was telling us. Our Father, who's in heaven, and he's holy, holy. Just the mention of his name sends angels to their knees. We've been studying on Friday nights about the book of Revelation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But the part in chapter 4, as Dad informed us Friday night, is all about worship. And I got this picture because as you're reading through there, you got these angels that will just cry out, holy, holy, holy. Just holy, holy, holy all the time. And the elders, the elders will just fall down and worship. It happens so often. I got this picture in my head. I'm seeing these elders walking through and they're maybe going about their daily business. I don't really know what happens in heaven yet. And then all of a sudden, somebody talks about the name of Jesus, and bam, they fall down. That was loud. I apologize. They fall down and start worshiping, holy, holy, holy. And, and I assume that comes to a conclusion at some point. They get up. They start moving along, and somebody talks about Jesus again, and bam, they fall down, and they worship God again. It's just that powerful. It's not out of ritual. It overcomes them so much that they can't do anything else. And I'm thinking, man, how long must it take them to walk from one side of the building to the other? You know, because every time the mention of Jesus name, they, they can't do anything else. It's not a law that you have to, it's a want to. It's to overcome, a must, and that's what prayer has got to become for us. I want to challenge you that this week you keep a journal of your prayer time, and I don't want you to beat yourself up. If you didn't pray that day, just write down no time in prayer. Don't worry about it right now. Then, then the next day, just write down how much time you spend in prayer. That, that's not just the time. How long did you spend in prayer? If you will do that for the next week, I think what you'll find is you'll begin to realize how much time you're truly spending in prayer compared to what you think you're spending in prayer. But more importantly, because I know you love Jesus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge you to do more. You're going to naturally start wanting to pray more because you're going to be more purposeful about it. So I challenge you this week to keep a journal of that. Because as we pray, we begin to understand the Father more. We begin to get closer to Him. And that's what Jesus was trying to show us through the Lord's Prayer. And so today I want to deal with the second verse in that prayer. His kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom and His will. You know, when you think about His kingdom and His will, it ought to remind you of submission and surrender. When we think of His kingdom, we've got to submit to His kingdom. You know, submission, I love looking up the definitions of words, sometimes because I don't really know what they mean, other times because I think I know what they mean, and I just want to make sure. 
And what I'm beginning to notice is some of these words, I, I never was great at grammar and English. I've really had to work on it hard. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm a lot better at it, but I at least understand the concepts a little better. And, and submission is a verb, and, and I would tell you it's an action verb. It's something we have to do. We have to do this. We, that means to yield to authority. To yield to authority. Let, let me give you an example of yielding to authority. When I was growing up, about 14 years old, that's about the time we know it all, right? And our parents need to understand that we really do know what we're talking about at 14. And I'd gotten into it. My mama explained it to her how she didn't know everything. And we went to school that day. By the way, we were, we were living in Conyers at the time, going to school in Henry County. So about a 20, 30-minute drive. And my mom, being the strategist that she is, we parted ways for school that day, and I pretty much felt like we'd handled it. I explained to her, and she understood. What I didn't know was she was biding her time, so she didn't kill me, I guess. And on the way home, we had a conversation because she had a captive audience. And she explained to me who was really in charge. I, I, didn't, I didn't put up with that either. I'll be honest with you. I told her that. that I forget. I said, you know, no. She said, if you're going to ride in this car with me every day, you're going to have to understand that I'm in charge. I said, well, maybe I just won't ride with you. Maybe I'll just walk. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Except I got a mama that doesn't mind calling me on my statements. So she pulled over. We just got started. We're still 20 minutes at least from the house, and that's in a car driving 50 to 60 miles an hour. I don't know, I don't know how far it was, but, I mean, I don't know. Let me tell you how brave I was, though. I got out the truck. That's right. But I didn't let go of the door handle. I was trying to call her bluff, but I saw something in her eyes that day that was a little different. And I can tell you right now, if I'd have let go of that door handle and shut that door, I'd have been walking home. And I don't know if she'd have circled back to get me. There was something different in her eyes. And all of a sudden, my perspective changed. And I began to realize just who was really in charge. Then she gave me an option. I could apologize, get back in the truck, and she'd take me home. Or I could walk. I thought about it. I decided I didn't really want to walk that day. And it just really wasn't that big a deal. I don't really even know what I was arguing about anymore. It, it, it eluded me at that point in time. It just must not have been that important. And so I apologized, got back in the truck and shut the door, and then she told me that if I would just... Uh, behave myself and, and learn from this, then we didn't have to tell my daddy. And I said, that's beautiful. Please don't tell my daddy. Please, Lord. I learned that day who, who was really in charge. You know, that, that happens with God. And guess what? He gives us options. We can either get in a car, recognize his authority, and let him drive us on, or we can stay on the side of the road and walk. And unfortunately, some of us choose to walk. I got two brothers. I threatened to run away from home. I got to think, man, I don't know where I'm really going to get my next meal. And my middle brother said, I don't care. I'll figure it out. And he left for a little while. Not me. I was a rules follower. But what I'm finding out is eventually we all come around, right? Hopefully, prayerfully. And God does the same thing for us. He allows us that opportunity to submit, to yield to his authority. You know, 
I've had a tough time explaining what the difference between submit and surrender is in my mind. And I've even told you guys from the pulpit here that it's good to submit, but it's better to surrender. And what I realize is that there is a slight difference, but if you look at the synonyms, words that mean the same thing as submit, guess what one of them is? Surrender. So maybe that's why it's a little difficult for me to explain the difference between submit and surrender because they're, they're, they're similar, very similar. The, the difference with surrender is that surrender is to um, give up completely, to give up the possession of something. See, I, I might have submitted to my mom's authority. We might submit to God's will and his throne for that season or that time, but if we surrender, we totally give up possession of our lives. We stop being in control, and we let him be in control. And that, to me, is the difference between surrender and submission. Let me tell you another story to kind of help you with, with uh, surrender. The other week, went to play golf with Dad, and Gary joined us. We had a good time. Now, Dad will tell you that Gary cheated because Gary would be in the woods like the rest of us, but Gary would be out there, and he'd be praying to God, Lord, Help me with this shot, you know, and bam, he did a good shot. They said, that's cheating, man. No, that's not cheating. That's just knowing your resources. We had a great time, but on hole number three, I hit my, my shot a little long. If you know golf, it was a par three. And so I hit it over the green, and, and I was looking for it. And as I'm looking for it, there's water behind the, the area that I'm looking. And there are two geese in the water there. And I'm thinking, man, that's really cool. They're beautiful birds. It's nice. Big birds, too. And I'm looking for my ball, and I hear one of them quack. I don't really know what, what you call a goose. Is it a quack? But anyway, it makes this noise. What is it? A honk. All right, it honks at me. And I, I acknowledge it. Appreciate that. I didn't realize what he was saying, though. What he was telling me was that was his domain, and I was messing with it. And when he wasn't loud enough for me to understand, he came up out the water. At this point, I still wasn't totally on the same page with him, so he got louder and started charging at me. Now I'm getting the picture. Now I'm getting the picture. But I took authority because God said we had dominion over the animals. And I spoke to that goose, and I said, no, no, be at peace. And for a moment, the goose stopped and turned, and he started attacking Dad, who was on the other side. And I thought, well, that, that, that works because he stopped. He was at peace with me. And I don't know what triggered it, but he came back for seconds. And he turned back around, got tired of Dad, I guess, because Dad surrendered quicker than I did, and Dad walked on. He just decided he wasn't that important. And I'm still looking for my ball, and that goose wants to remind me yet one more time that I'm in his domain or her domain, and he charges again. Well, this time my faith ain't quite there, so I decided it ain't worth it. I'm going to donate that golf ball to you, and I turned around, and I surrendered, and I left. I surrendered. I gave up possession of that golf ball. I said, I'm out. I'm out. When we surrender, we quit trying to fix the situation. We quit trying to find another way around to figure out how I can get to my ball and still deal with the problem. That's we surrender completely and say, all right, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm on board. That's completely surrendering. And there is a difference between submitting and surrender, and that's it. It's completely giving up that possession. And that's what we got to do. You see, when we do that, when we talk about, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're talking about perspective. How do we see things? And when we begin to see it according to the Lord's prayer, and, and how does this apply to prayer? Because when we pray, we need to pray 
knowing that it's not about what we want. Let's go back to the scripture we talked about. He gives us the desires of our heart when we delight in his ways. We have not because we ask not, and when we do ask, we ask of selfish motivation. See, it's not about what we want. But God wants me to be comfortable, does he? Where does it say that in the scriptures? He does, but he wants you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'll let you think about that for a minute. He wants you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You see, again, when we realize that it's his kingdom and his will, it still speaks of unity. Verse 9, he talked about our father, unified with one father. It's his kingdom and his will. That's still unity. It's not multiple kingdoms. It's not multiple wills. It's his kingdom. It's one kingdom, one will, and one church united. One kingdom, one will, and one church united. What does it say in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6? It says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me give you some more perspective on that. It doesn't say if you acknowledge that or if you recognize that. My mom was in authority and in control that day whether I recognized it or not. See, see, it's not God's in control when we want him to be in control. He's in control whether we admit it or not. Just like we are in a battle whether we admit it or not. When Paul talked about wrestling against uh, spiritual darkness, we talked about, you know, not, not, not fighting against the, f- the flesh, but it's a spiritual battle. It doesn't matter whether you acknowledge the battle or not. If you're getting punched in the face, it doesn't matter if you say, I'm not getting punched in the face. You're getting punched in the face. What we got to do is quit trying to make it something it's not. And the sooner we rec- recognize and have a perspective that it's his kingdom and his will the more we are going to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, Isaiah 49 tells us that kings will bow. So this is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One says to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of the rulers, kings will see and arise. Kings normally sit on a throne, but when they see something of honor, they, they stand up for it, right? But princes will also bow down, meaning the kings are going to also bow down. They're going to stand and rise, but they're going to bow down. And so are the princes. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. You know, other scriptures lead us to understand better that our perspective needs to be on God the Father. When you read in Matthew chapter 6, that's where it talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Begin... You know, we got to begin to think about what treasures is he talking about, right? God's blessings and God's treasures are not typically what we think of. Our flesh wants to please itself. And so what we call blessings are not necessarily blessings in God's eyes. God did say he would bless us. What we've done is we've changed the perspective and we consider blessings according to our scale. Let me give you an example. I remember a few years ago, Gary brought a video back from Haiti. They had built a house. They were so excited. They'd built a house for this family. Family, not one person, family. I don't remember how many there were, but there were more than two, I can tell you that. 
Why is that important? Because the house that he showed on video was no bigger than a storage shed. And they were elated. I mean, I'm talking beside themselves, happy, not just, not just the people that contributed to building the house, but the people that received the house. That was the best thing ever. They were blessed. But we struggle with something like that. How do I know that? I, I struggle. I looked at that thing going, where's the rest of the house, Gary? That is the house. That's the house? Wow. Changed my perspective on seeing what a blessing was. You know, I, I, asked, I asked this question a lot here lately because it, it's saying something to me, and I get that we're resourceful people, okay? And, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to down our country. God has definitely blessed us, and, and, and we definitely have people here that are just sold out to Jesus, and we do a lot for other countries and other people. So this is not a perspective on how bad America is. It's actually simply just trying to get us to understand truly who God is. And God is not just for one nation, right? He's for all of us. Well, if you're going to say that he's for Israel, if we're going to pick one nation, right? But, but my point is, if we were to switch countries, not resources, just countries, and the people of America were transported and we had to live in Haiti, and the people of Haiti were transported here and they got to live in America with all of our resources and everything, who is going to adapt better as a whole? You're always going to have individuals that can adapt. But as a whole, okay, we have built up prosperity and blessings so much that if we lose something, we begin to ask the question, what did I do wrong, Lord? What did I mess up, God? Why am I not getting this, 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 and this? It's because we're not focused on the perspective of the Lord. Because it's not our will, it's his will. It's not our will it's his will. We have to identify blessings according to the Father. He says in Matthew 6 to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not ours, not our kingdom, not, our, not his kingdom according to our rule either, not his kingdom according to our definition, but his kingdom and his will. As we begin to see the perspective of that, then prayer begins to line up better. Then it becomes less of, Lord, can you do this, 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 and this for me? And it becomes, God, what is your will for this situation, Lord? What if God tells you, somebody asks you to pray for them, and you seek God's will, and God says, no, I'm not healing them? I can tell you, I don't run in any circles where people would agree with that. Unfortunately, everybody believes that if I pray you're supposed to be healed, you should get healed. And if you don't, then there must be something wrong with either your faith or with me. But the scripture God showed me that really helped me with that was again in John, I believe it's the ninth chapter, where the disciples and Jesus go to a blind man. And Jesus heals the blind man, but before he does, the disciples ask him, whose sin was it that caused his blindness? Was it his or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It was for such a time as this, for God to get the glory. We get so focused on everybody should be healed. We shouldn't be sick because God said like as in heaven as on earth and we're not even asking God what his will is. We think we know everything that's going on in people's lives and we want people to be healed and we want them to be saved and we want them to be blessed and so we begin to pray according to how we see things and we don't ever stop to say, God, what is your will for this person's life? That's not easy because if God says, I got them, then he's got them. I got a friend right now who's having to work a lot of hours, a lot of hours. 
And my prayer has been, Lord, I don't understand why I'm getting blessed and I'm able to work this ministry job as a full-time job, and yet he loves you just as much, and he pours as much time as he possibly can. And before he had to go get a full-time job again, he was spending more time probably than I am with you. Lord, I don't understand. And I said, Lord, let me help him out. Can, can we support him? Maybe the church can help support him. Maybe I can help support him. What do we can do? And the Lord very clearly said, no, I got him. Man, that, that was tough. Very tough. I want to help him out. Because in my eyes, he's doing what he's supposed to do. And shouldn't I help him out? But what I don't know is what's going on behind the scenes. What do I not know about his life? And what I don't know, God does know. It's not my job to solve any of his quote-unquote problems. What we deem a problem may very well be what God is using to bring us closer to him. You know, 1 Peter tells us that after you have suffered for a little while, I love that because a little while, talk about wanting to keep it down to a minute. <laughs> All right, Lord, I'll suffer for you, but I can't go more than about two minutes, Lord. Suffer for a little while. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christ will do that. Herman can't do that for you. Herman can be used of God to help in the process, maybe, but only if I submit to God's will. I prayed during January that the Lord would get the attention of my kids, especially my oldest son, Eddie. He, he does know Jesus. He's just not walking a tight walk with him right now. And he's letting other things get in the way. And I, I sat around and said, Lord, do whatever is necessary to wake him up and get him into your kingdom, get him closer to you. What I didn't know was I forgot to pray for strength for me because that night he got arrested. Got arrested. But it was such a, a small thing that they did just enough to get his attention. They cuffed him. They took him to the station. They fingerprinted him. And then they let him go. Gave him a court date. It's a misdemeanor offense. You did all that for a misdemeanor? Yeah, because I asked God to intervene. Except when it happened, I start getting worried. Yeah. I'm watching my tongue. I can't use certain terms, right? I get really out. And I start wanting to solve the problem for him. And God says, did you or did you not ask me to get his attention? Well, yes, Lord, but I wish you'd have done it a different way. Can I tell you how to get his attention, Lord? Now, we'll tell you one funny side to that story. We've been on his case. We've been on his case about tithing. We believe in it. We know that God works through tithing, and, and we just don't want him to go down the same roads that his mother and I have gone down uh, with that. And so we've been, we've been begging, son, you got to give. Yes, Dad, I'll do that. I did. We didn't ever give. That Sunday after getting arrested, man, he brought us like $180. I said, man, how much money did you make last night? He said, no, no, just put it in there. I said, no, we're not doing that. I said, God's not looking for your back tithes. He's not looking for you to make it up. He's just looking for you to start with your heart, right? <laughs> so I said, no, this is what we're going to do. I kept 20. I gave him the rest. I said, he said, no, give it. I said, no, just hold on. So I kept the 20. I said, this is your tithe. Anything you give above this is offering, and only if God's asked you to do that. So, no, I want to give it. I said, okay, I'll let you give that, but I want you to understand the difference. Again, it's all about perspective, right? 
But God got his attention. Now, he's still not regularly tithing, but he's tithing a lot more than he used to. I've tried to explain to him that him getting arrested didn't have anything to do with him tithing. <laughs> but now, if he wanted to give more time and attention to the Lord, then that would be great. <laughs> but, you know, I think what messes with our perspective on, on God's will, just like that right there, I'm sitting there going, Lord, I asked you to awaken him, but I didn't mean for him to get arrested. That's because my perspective was I want a guy to do it a certain way. Okay? I have to change my perspective because as we read through the Bible, we're presented with two stories. One is the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, different amounts of money are given to people. Right? And then they do different things with it. I'll, I'll let you go back and read it. I don't want to read the whole thing here. It's found in Matthew 25. But basically, the last guy who had the least just buried it, didn't even try to do anything with it. Right? Now, that story has other meanings for another sermon. But when you put that story with also the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, which is found in Matthew 20, where it talks about people came at different times and the guy paid them pretty much the same amount, regardless whether they started in the morning or midday or afternoon. And people were getting angry and upset, like, that's not fair. I've worked here all day. Now, the point of it had to do more with salvation. It doesn't matter what time or the hour is. The thief on the cross is entitled to the same uh, God in heaven and, and, and rewards as we are. The same heaven, the same salvation that we are. So it doesn't matter if you're, you're accepting him on your deathbed or if you've been saved your whole life. But the point is looking at his perspective, and here's what happens. We start focusing on what's fair and not fair. And that's how we decide what we're being blessed by. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, what is your will? What is your kingdom? And being happy with what God does. If God tells you to leave your job and to join the ministry, don't you know he'll take care of you? And he has. And he has. Better than I was doing before. God takes care of us when we do things according to his will. So what we've got to do is quit trying to figure out what his will is based on our own perceptions, meaning that I'm uncomfortable, therefore this must not be God's will. Right? And begin to look at the scriptures. I was telling you about 1 Peter 5.10, but, you know, again, we're promised trials and tribulations. Trials and tribulations. Second Corinthians is, is one of my favorite ones right now because that's where Paul talks about the momentary light afflictions. Momentary light afflictions. If you read through the trials and tribulations of Paul, for him to call those momentary light afflictions, he's beaten multiple times, shipwrecked, thrown in jail, just so many things happen to him, and yet he's going, it's just momentary and it's light. Why? Because he understood it through an eternal perspective. That's God's kingdom and God's will. He's understanding God's will is for people to get saved, to be disciples. So it didn't matter what he had to go through as long as he got a chance to tell people about Jesus, to disciple those that had accepted Jesus. That's what he was sold out to. And he understood this life was temporary. We are trying to have heaven now. We're trying to have heaven on earth. And we're using that scripture to say that. On earth as it is in heaven. What's he talking about? His kingdom and his will is going to be the same on earth as it is in heaven. One more area here, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring this to a close. I'm beginning to realize, I, I didn't know this, and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty humbled, 
But it turns out that Charles Stanley listens to these sermons. I know he must because the last two weeks he's had a daily devotion that went right along with what we're talking about. <laughs> or maybe God is just speaking and I'm actually hearing him. <laughs> and he's telling multiple people what to, what to teach on. But I thought it was pretty great. I went and read one of the daily devotions last week. He was talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I went, hey, that guy must be listening on Sundays. So this week he was talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, and in Daniel chapter 4, it talks about King Nebuchadnezzar having to go and eat grass and live with the animals, right? He thought he was all high and mighty, and God basically explained to him whose authority and whose will was really in play. And I like what Charles Stanley said. He said, helplessness is one of the means God uses to break pride and produce humility. But this is the other one that really, really got to me. In times of difficulty, that's what I want to hone in on. There are times we're not being prideful, but we're going through difficult situations and we begin to reach out to try to figure out what's going on. And he said, in times of difficulty, we quickly try to regain control. What did we say surrender was? Completely giving up possession, right? But in times of difficult, difficult times, we quickly try to regain control. And in an attempt to put all the pieces back together, we may resort to manipulating circumstances or people, devising strategies or using our own efforts to fix matters. And I've got to be honest with you, I'll have to raise both hands to tell you that's what happens to me all the time. I try to fix them my way instead of submitting it to the Lord. You know, Job went through some stuff. And his friends even got to the point of saying, maybe you did something wrong. And Job did have a meeting with the Lord, and the Lord set him straight. And he asked him, where were you when all this was created? You know, the short version of that story is the same as the rest of the stories. God is in control whether we admit it or not. It's going to be his kingdom, and it's going to be his will, whether we understand that or not. It's not his will and his kingdom only if we get that and agree with it. The last thing I want you to think about is some of us are waiting for signs to start ministering. We've been talking about Revelation and talking about the book of Revelation. And one of my issues I've always had with discussions with people on the book of Revelation is I never understand how it applies to my life. And I ask people all the time, well, what does that mean? They want to talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And they want to talk about uh, it's a sign of end times. And I don't mean it rudely. And that's great. But my question back is always, and? And so? So it's end time. So are you waiting till end time start to start witnessing and ministering and living a life for Jesus? Paul didn't wait. Jesus didn't wait. The disciples didn't wait. There's got to be more to it than that. You know, are, are we waiting? Don't wait around. Who cares if it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Are, are you working so hard to try to avoid some kind of trial and tribulation, guess what? You're going to go through them. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. But again, I will tell you, that's not what, in my opinion, the book of Revelation is about. It's not so that you can make darn sure and pray hard that God takes you before anything bad happens. But all of a sudden, I had a revelation Friday night. And I think it was something Dad said. Revelation is about revealing God. It's about revealing who he is. It's about revealing his kingdom and his will. Amen. But see, it says, thy kingdom come. 
It's not here yet. And we've got to approach this with the same tenacity that Jesus and the disciples and Paul and, uh, and these guys have approached life. Let me give you one more story here. I'm trying to leave names out of this because I didn't necessarily ask permission, but it goes, well, it goes along so much with what we're talking about here that, that it's worth telling you about because he's not the only person that's going through this. But I, I know a gentleman who is praying so hard for his father to get saved. And one of the things that he's going through right now is he wants to be able to come up with all of the angles and all of the explanations that his dad might come at him, you know, with. But his heart is burning so hard for the Lord. And he has grasped Jesus so tightly that he knows that if his dad doesn't accept Jesus, then he's not going to be in heaven with him, and he is having a hard time living with that. It is driving him up a wall. He wants so desperately to find the right argument, the right statement, the right anything that will convince his dad to accept Jesus that he's having sleepless nights. He's not waiting for a certain time to try to witness. He knows of the importance of ministering so much so it's keeping him up at night. So I'd ask you, are you in the same boat? Do you have people that you desperately want to see come to the Father so much so that it's keeping you up at night? I will tell you about my own life. I've spent so much time trying to make sure I'm doing the right thing and taking care of me that I don't always think about other people. I don't, I don't mean to. I don't mean to be that way. But it's just the way I, I, I've operated for a long time. As we begin to pray about another, it should be about God. And as we begin to latch on to his kingdom and his will, we will begin to have those times where we can't sleep at night because we are just so fervently praying and wanting to see people come to Christ and wanting to disciple them. That when we get shipwrecked or thrown in jail or beat, it doesn't matter because we understand there's limited time and I'll get a new body and be a new time for me to have fun or whatever we want to call it later in life. The next life, the eternal life. This is a temporary time. I want to challenge you to take an inventory of your life. Are you approaching situations based on your comfort level? Are you approaching situations based on having heaven right here, right now, according to the way you see it? Or are you seeing things the way God sees it? Are you understanding it's his kingdom and his will? Again, we're fine with the Lord's will when it lines up with our desires. But what happens when his will runs in the opposite direction? You know, as Christians, we should want to see his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But his will, not ours. We pray to build relationship with the Father in order to know his will. That is the reason for prayer. That is a reason for prayer. And Jesus laid it out. Focus on the Father. Begin to pray for his will. And through doing that. I made a statement last week that even, I don't know, I just feel like it was, I never thought about it this way. But it was in the, it was in the moment. It was what the Holy Spirit dropped on my heart. It wasn't in my notes or anything. And that was this right here. If you need ministry, begin to minister to the Lord. When we minister to the Lord, it's not because he's weak. That's not what we're doing. We're crying out, letting him know we understand who's really in control, whose will it is. And as we do that, and as we draw closer to him, you're going to find that your life is even better than you could have possibly imagined. 
regardless of your situation and circumstances. The peace that you will experience, according to Philippians, is peace that surpasses all human understanding. Let me get you to stand to your feet. Let me leave you with this thought here. I've said it many times. I can't shake it. And I want to preface it by saying, I'm not telling you not to read the Word of God. You need to be reading the Word of God. It is an awesome resource that that God the Father left us to show us His heart. But the men and women you read about in the Bible didn't have the Bible. But yet they still had an awesome relationship with God the Father. How? Because they spent time with Him. They prayed unto Him. Jesus was constantly getting alone time with the Father. He told the disciples to get away for a little bit and be with the Father. As we begin to pray the Lord's Prayer, we begin to think about our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His kingdom and His will be done. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.